any discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. If you can find the name of the demon, you can control and send it back to hell. The problem with the Bible is you. I am sowing strife among brothers and I'm so sorry. I'll hit you. <laughs> I won't, I'm not angry because I've been told not to be angry, but I'll hit you. I got another idea, but I don't want to say it on the podcast because it's dangerous. I think it's a polemic in itself that the Bible's not more sexual than it is. You're demon-possessed. Well, maybe. All right, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Second Right Saints podcast. Um, this We're starting our creation series. I am your producer, Caleb. Um, to my left is... I'm Jewel. And uh, to my left is... Uh, Colton. And to my left... Uh, Josh, I'm drinking hot chocolate. To my left is Caleb. Who's drinking tea? Nice. It's very good. Thank you, Josh. You're introducing something. I am. I am introducing Joel. Do you read? I thought. Wait a second. No, no, Josh. Could you introduce it? Yeah, sure. Joel, do you read? I'd prefer if Colton introduced it. Actually. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Joel, do you read? I do read. Actually, it's <laughs> been a wonderful intro. Yes, I, I am going to go through the segment we have called uh, "What Have You Read?" or "Have You Done a Read?" or "Name Pending." Um, but what I've read is a book called "With the Clouds of Heaven." which is a biblical theology on Daniel um, from the New Studies in Biblical Theology series, which is edited by D.A. Carson, and I can't remember the guy who actually writes the book. Just it's one it's James M. Hamilton, correct? Oh, it is Hamilton, yeah, for sure. He does a couple of them, actually, doesn't he? He's a big biblical theologian. He's a big name for, for biblical theology. Um, yeah, so I, I ended up reading through uh, With the Clouds of Heaven for a paper that I was writing, and uh, it was really intense. Um, if you've done any kind of you know, study on Daniel, you know, it's one of the more complicated of the prophets, I would say, um, because it doesn't just deal with the history, it deals with genre, it deals with interpretation, it has so many poetic structures in it that you have to understand, and they're layered so perfectly on one another. Um, but I would say one of the things that I, you know, got out of it, if you, if you look at um, Daniel, and we'll get into some poetic structure as we do our creation episode, right? Because if we're going to be talking about Genesis 1 and 2, some stuff's going to show up. So, stuff like a chiasm, there's a single chiasm that goes throughout the entire book of Daniel. And what a chiasm is, it's kind of like the way we, we rhyme like stanzas, right? Where it's like A, B, A, B, and it's like, you know, roses are red, violets are blue, or whatever like that, right? But instead of rhyming, they'll have thematic ties, and they order it so that the, the central line of the stanza, if you were going to say it like that, if you're familiar with like 10th grade poetry, you look at the stanza and the very center line is the highest point of emphasis, right? And the highest point of emphasis in Daniel is actually two of the stories um, in, th what is it, chapter four and chapter five, I believe it is. And the way that they parallel each other is it's being saved, oh no, it's not being saved from fire furnace, it's the uh, Nebuchadnezzar being driven out into the wilderness, mm -hmm. and then it's Belshazzar having his uh, temple attacked, not his temple, his palace attacked, while well, he's using the golden dishes from the temple that he Where ransacked the, in Jerusalem. Right, the yectel you've been weighed and found yeah, wanting. Yeah, so the, the writing on the wall, it's yeah. that story, right? And those two stories uh, actually pair, each other, like, pair with each other in the chiasm. Interesting. 
being like the center two lines, right? If you were to look at the entire book as a chiasm from one to seven, and then you keep on doing it's like one to seven, two to six, and then four and five, right? Like an arrow point. It's like an arrow point. And right. what it points to is God controlling the rising and fall of kings, right? And then okay. even when you get um, later on in the book, when it's talking about the four beasts, which are t- like closely tied to the Maccabean revolt, right? It, it's it's weird foreshadowing. And I don't even think we have enough time in this podcast without dedicating an entire podcast to Daniel. There's so many. Like I, so I, did, I did a, I wrote a paper on, Daniel, just a <laughs> light introductory paper, right? Like very small, yeah. and started to go into the into the literature, and it's very complicated, very fast, with a lot of different opinions. What little bit of James M. Hamilton that I've read in other places, he seems like a very capable uh, scholar for handling complex topics. How's his writing on this? Would is it, is this is it comprehensible? Is, is it well? Is it a introductory work, intermediate work? I don't think it's introductory. Okay. And and maybe that's a mistake to bring that up as as the source that I you're going to suggest to people. But if you want a truly in-depth understanding of what Daniel is, and I don't think you can do it another way. I'm not interested in, in going in and just reading about the fiery furnace and like how that means we can be good Christians today. Like that's wonderful. But I don't think that's the exact purpose of Daniel. Right? Because right. God brings in three separate kingdoms to judge Israel. And all of them fall by God's hand, not by Israel's hand. It's, it's similar to the other week we were talking about um, how the Ark of the Covenant brought itself back in First and Second Samuel, or First Samuel, like 5 or whatever it was, right? It's just showing God's sovereignty as independent from his people, mm. but also working on behalf of his people. Interesting. Right? Well, and with your, your point about we can't take the fiery furnace as if we stay good, we'll be fine, yeah. it's the... The, an- the angel inside keeps them alive mm-hmm. through the fire, the same yeah. way that God keeps Israel alive through mm-hmm. the fire of the kingdoms, destroying everything around them. Yeah. And so it's like the message isn't, like you're saying, this like idea of like, hey, if we stay good with God, he's going to keep us through the thing. It's like, no, he's going to keep you through it because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. You're his right. people. But even even in before yeah. they get cast in, mm-hmm. um, the... Uh, why can't I think of their their names? The My shack, your shack, into the bungalow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My shack, shady shark, and into bed you go is the way I remembered it. Um, no, uh, rack shack and Betty. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great rack shack and Betty. Um, before they get sent in, they're like, "Hey, even if God doesn't save us, it doesn't mean yeah. that A he's not capable or B he doesn't exist. It's it just means he didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as little transition point here as joel mentioned that we can read the text about how that's hey you should be good christians faithful to god and he and he may protect you through the through the fires and trials of life but that means a whole lot more in its original context and what that and when you study that text to its full depth you begin to see a lot more meaning than just that first cursory glance over and it starts to explain things that were initially a huge issue Mm. Right? Like, as I was reading through it when I was younger or whatever, right? Or maybe before I came to college is maybe a better way to put it. Um, it kind of bugged me that it was out of order chronologically. Like, if you're reading it, it's like, oh, Cyrus is king now? Oh, not the next one. It's Nebuchadnezzar. And if you have any grasp on 
you know, history mm. or the March of Empires, you're going to be like, oh, so this is just a bunch of random stories thrown together in a nonchalant way, and it's whatever, and it talks about how good God is, and then we're done. It's like, no, it's building a theological point, right? And it, it's it's combining stories in a very intentional way. Right. Um, even to the point where it's it's two different languages as it's put together, right? Because there are sections of Daniel that are meant for the Hebrews and some that are meant for the Babylonians, right? So uh, it's Aramaic. the beginning, it's in Aramaic, right? So in the beginning um, of the book, it's in Aramaic and at the end. And that kind of creates um, a chiasm of the actual, not just the, the subject matter, but the um, the language. I don't really know how else to, how else to say that. Okay. Um, and then there's, the, the thing is, like I said, it's layered. So there are um, some poetic devices that seemingly don't have anything to do with each other. And he overlays, there's, a, there's another one called progressive parallelism. And, and you might get confused as you're reading it because it, it's one to seven is a very um, obvious chiasm. But okay. then as we get into like the visions, it starts to escalate more and use what's called progressive parallelism, which is where it, it creates... Um, I don't want to call it a typology because we don't have time to talk about what a typology is, but it has it's a uh, a subject matter that gets increasingly more prevalent until it becomes the main focus of the story. Mainly so, themes, right? The main themes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the um, most English translations split up Daniel into twelve parts. Okay. Um, but if you use the actual, uh, what is it? The dividing of the Scripture in Daniel itself, it's actually ten parts. Okay. And the way that it's separated, because he uses the exact same phrase for for multiple different instances of this, is every time he says um, who is king, or that someone is king, or that a king did something, right? So it always has to do with kingship, that the reason the story is about to progress is because it's, um, what is it, in the third year of Jehoiakim, or whatever it is, the first king, or in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, or... Whatever. Um, every single time, it's actually signaling a new story. And what's interesting about this is once it, be- it comes to the, the 12th chapter, it talks about Michael reigning as prince, which is super weird, because it's now no longer um, an earthly king, but it's, it's something else. And, that, and that's, of course, paired with the Son of Man image um, as being made something of a king it's it's really too complicated right i'm and sorry that i chose it but I'm it like, is an, a very interesting book yeah and this uh progressive parallelism kind of thing where it's mm-hmm. building this theme slowly through the thing so when it gets to this point yeah. it becomes really important for the overall theme of especially like you're saying the last two chapters or last few chapters right mm-hmm. yeah or everything after seven which i guess is more than a few but yeah and and to be specific that that progressive parallelism is kingship Okay. That's what he's talking about. Right. And so when it gets into the Son of Man th- stuff and yeah. Michael reigning as prince, it, it, it means something really important to the actual Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the overall structure. Nebuchadnezzar, it's like he's just a guy. He thinks okay. he's a, a son of God, but he's not. Right? He is the, the lowest of the kings. Actually, you would say the lowest of the kings could even be the king that was reigning when um, the Israelites were taken to exile. Right, so that is the lowest king, and then it swells up to the point where now it is God's kingdom, and that um, right. everything belongs to him. So it is about the sovereignty of God. And you're going to see a couple of these uh, weird poetic devices or whatever, and we're going to talk about them more because it, it really works for our uh, 
I guess, hermeneutic methodology. Is that the right way to say it? Well, it's, <clears throat> so as you mentioned, like yeah, you when, when of, you were, yeah. if, if I can assist at least. Yeah, go for um, it. When you read Daniel, you're like, hey, this is all out of order. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Is this just a hodgepodge of stories yeah. that has like a kind of a common theme? Is there like an actual undergirding, um, uh, as you called, pro- progressive parallelism? Is there chiasms? Is there, is there more going on? And so that same problem and answer, or at least attempt to answer, can be applied to Genesis one to three. Yeah. Because um, if if can I say one last thing about Daniel before we start? I'm so sorry. I know you want to. I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. yeah of course. No, I really want to. And it's not even like a theological thing. Okay. It might be a little bit theological. But when I I believe it's Gabriel that's talking to Daniel, and Daniel just falls on his face. Yep. Oh. And he doesn't get up. Help this man get up. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. And then the angel's like, hey, get up. Like, get up and look at the vision. And, and like, you see some of that happening in, in Revelation 2 where he begins to worship the beast and then is told not to, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is the human response? It's the reason why I think Daniel wrote it himself is because what is the human response to divinity or to something supernatural like that? And it's, it's to fall on your face and not know what to do with yourself, <laughs> right? And, and I think that that's a really cool... Um, very human response. Is is it is it Isaiah or Ezekiel that says I'm undone? Uh, Isaiah Isaiah says, "Woe is me, for I am okay undone." Okay, because he sees God. Right, he sees God face to face. Yeah, and it's that like, further paralleling your idea that it's yeah. fall on your face and <laughs> mm-hmm. well, and th- and that might be why uh, prostrating oneself is an act of worship. Yep. Yeah, and so a lot of those same hermeneutical issues that you just brought up in your kind of endeavors in Daniel can be applied to Genesis one to three because there hmm. even a cursory reading will will arrive at some some problems that may come up um, inconsistencies Are you even problems in the Bible, Caleb. Well, it depends what you're approaching it. What are you expecting from right. it? Um, the problem in the Bible is you. <laughs> you know what? I, actually, yes. Uh, both theologically and in interpretation. <laughs> like, like right out of the gate, the order of events. So in Genesis um, 1, you have creation of, so there's first water, the cosmic waters. Right. Then he makes land, then plants, animals, followed through with the days. And then finally culminating in humanity on the sixth day as the pinnacle of creation. Right. Right. Uh, in the second... In the second account, there is first land, but it's like arid, not filled. Before there was no bush of the tree, no tree, uh, no no bush in the field, no whatever in the. I can't remember the thing right now. <clears throat> arid. Is this chapter land. two? This is two now. Yeah. Okay. Well, two. This would be two five. Five. Yeah. Um, or four. Five. Uh, <laughs> I choose four. I, I know it's, you're wrong. No, I've. Um, it's an arid land with just mist, but it starts with land. Then human male is made then followed by plants animals and then finally woman right um and so that like even the order is 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 different there um interesting yeah especially given that the first uh the first chapter in a little bit gives a very different approach to how creation is structured yeah well it gives it gives a very structured approach yeah six in in at least the uh at least in its cursory reading, six literal days. Yeah. Um, and you can you can that debate. Cursory reading, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's why I said cursory reading. Man, ooh, I'm sorry. 
We're not no, saying you should curse while you read. As long as you laugh, it wasn't demeaning. <laughs> yeah, the reason the reason we bring it up is that it's a very interesting uh, topic, the first few chapters of the Bible, because we're talking about things like, even with Daniel, but just structure and literary devices and all that. But very few people actually agree on how the structure of Genesis is. Yeah. Like what well, there's, there's there's a massive shift in style as well. Like as you were mentioning, there's a mass there's a particular structure in Genesis one, and then the structure changes. Yeah. Like like the there's a numerical as uh, if it's telling a different order of events. Exactly. Which doesn't make sense the, normally. Normally, if you a cursory reading. Yeah. That would be what you'd come to. There's also like even God's name is different. Just generic Elohim. God is used in the first, but uh, his covenantal name, Yahweh Elohim. Tetragrammaton. Yes. <laughs> Such an yes. awesome word. Um, is used in the second, um, which, again, isn't a massive difference, but that difference exists and is a stark difference. Um, in, in theme and meaning, right? Well, it's a, it's a significant difference because Elohim was also just a word you could use for, like, other deities. Yep. Whereas Yahweh was, right. like, he gave that to Moses as a sign that the Israelites the would know who he was yeah. as part of the, the, the plans for the covenant. It's personal. It's identity written. Elohim is his title. Yahweh yeah. is his name. Yeah. Right. The, the I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also just a shift in focus. Uh, the first first account, or let's what we might call the weak account, okay. um, is focused on God's interaction with the cosmos as a whole. Yep. Um, and greatly emphasizes his uh, transcendence from it. Right. Right? Okay. Uh, whereas the second... The his... strong account, right? What's that? You have the weak account and the strong account? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, um, your reading's then... getting more and more cursory. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm good at. Um, and then the Edenic account, you're having... Um, it's far more personable. God forms, right. plants, creates... Um, What's yeah. That? Oh, no, I was just going to add to that. The The first one is also um, theocentric. It's all about God, God doing things, God's position, God's greatness, uh, God speaking, mm-hmm. like all those things. Yes, creation is being made, but it's, it's as if it's everything is coming from him. Whereas the second story is the, the orientation seems to be on creation and the human. Yeah. Humans. No, there's 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 a yeah. there's a, a structural shift, a tonal shift, yep. an order of events shift. Mm-hmm. Um, Just, there's also another interesting um, the mo the the mechanism of creation is different. In the first story, he creates by speaking. In the second story, he creates by interacting, manipulating, and altering, like forming the human. He doesn't right. speak them into existence. He uh, the the plants sprout out from the ground, but he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. He just it just says he, he causes. It. He does it. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he he ca- he brings forth living animals. He doesn't It says he forms them. Yes. Yeah, like he did yeah. uh humanity. Mm-hmm. J- just so that we cover all of our bases with creation because it's a very interesting topic and one that again, people disagree with a lot. How do we know that why are we saying that there's two different accounts? Why is there why are we saying that there's one and then another. Well, that's why we're listing the differences. It, that's yeah. why that's why we're going into yeah. cursory reading. There's problems right. between w- between one two four mm-hmm. and two four to three twenty four. Yeah, yeah. Um, three twenty four. Yeah. Um, 
there's an there's a there's a tonal shift there's an order shift there's a structure shift and two five starts retelling how creation existed right yeah i I actually have um a theory about two four that we'll get into okay um, when we're going through different ways to read uh these two stories which will be shortly um because traditionally again if you just if you just pick up a bible and you're going to read it um as anyone who's read most history works or literature in most things if there's going to be a massive shift there's a heading that tells you that (laughs) there's no heading that tells you that in the bible yeah um, and so the natural and most common uh, interpretation and approach to this in layman and has been mm-hmm. in layman across the last 2,000 years has been, oh, these are chronological order. Like this is this, these two stories fit together. They're just different perspectives. Yeah. And right. so now... Or, or at least like, like we've mentioned that there is a tonal shift or a structural shift. And it might just be that the, the, the after 2-4... The it's focusing and zooming in on yeah. something. So you wanted to talk, Josh. You yeah. you listed that there's this idea of positive differences yes. and negative differences. Now we've probably listed some of them already. You've listed all the positive differences. What do you mean by? What you- so like 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 there there's differences structurally okay. between the the these two uh, pieces of text about creation, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they're different stories. It just means that the they they're written differently the same way that like if you were reading daniel you would notice oh this section's aramaic the other sections are hebrew but it's all one story right um so like but with genesis there's we so we've listed the positive differences these these things that are you reading them you notice there's a difference but it doesn't mean that they're different stories would the would the changing of events though wouldn't that be like the order yes. of events that's a negative difference yeah so and there's there are three major negative differences, inconsistencies between these two th- seemingly. At this si- point, we don't. Stories. We're just at this point. We're just establishing that is there a difference? What's yeah. going on? Um, and so the first one is Genesis one uh, states that trees are made on the day three. Okay. And then humans and animals are made on day six. Yeah. Genesis two, four to three twenty five. 24 however says that humans are made and the trees and bushes have not yet appeared and the garden is made after humanity and so you've got a there's no trees an obvious discrepancy yeah um that and it's it's obvious but only if you've read it 47 times like like it's one of those things where <laughs> right. it's like, like 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 when you're thinking about it you can see how that's not yeah. what the previous thing said yeah um, a specific point on that and why that yeah. point is very uh why that point sticks yeah um genesis 2 8 not 2 8 sorry 2 19 where um god makes the animals forms the animals um the hebrew there could be translated as pluperfect meaning had formed that's several several oh. um a past completed action yeah um and the hebrew there does support that it can technically happen yeah um the issue the, the reason why uh there's a bunch of issues with that hebrew wise actually right um if you really want with most differences in interpretation yeah well it's it's not just like it can work yeah but at this because it can work in both senses in that sure. he fashioned present tense like this is he's, he's doing, doing it, it at that time yeah um 
and then he past tense completed action had formed and then it's not a reference to a discrepancy in days it just mentions that he had previously formed them now he forms man on the sixth day um it technically can work in hebrew it's just all the scholars debate about the likelihood the majority of scholars who are actual biblical uh who are actual uh let's say Bible translators and mm, Hebrew yeah. scholars, will go, mm, this is not an instance of pluperfect. Right. Uh, um, yeah. However, more, let's say, Bibles that are, are designed for more of a uh, idea orientation to smooth out issues between the reader and whatnot, they will often say had formed, uh, which is just a, which is just an, one instance, let's say, with the, with the NIV where a, a, an, a preference and interpretation has taken place right. that is maybe not entirely justifiable. That's one of the reasons why we read multiple translations. But the reason why this is super important for why that could be the case, but why Josh's point with the plants matter is because the same cannot be said for the plants. Right. Yes. The it's argument, not in a pluperfect. Yeah. The argument yeah. can be made about the animals. Sure. Yeah. Still leaves a massive problem for the plant. Yes. And then that gets to the second one, which is the animals, which is Genesis 1 states that animals are made on day six. And then humans are both made at the same time after the animals. Yep. But Genesis 2 states that Adam is made first. Yep. Then the plants. Then all the animals, including the birds and the fish, which were made on the day five. Which, even if they were made before, like mm-hmm. what we just talked about with Caleb, this still doesn't explain the plants. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't explain the other stuff, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you've got... he. The, now, there's a series of events here, right? It's not just the, 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 the human and then the plants are made, then the human and then the animals are made. It's The second one is the humans are made in Genesis 2, then all the animals... And then God commands him to name all the animals, yep. and we could get into numbers. Between total species, there's 3.2 million across whole, all Earth. Um, that and then, we know of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then with a, with a potential of up to 8 million Unless you add the dinosaurs. Those are included. Um, and then you've got a, well, what if you reduce it to just mammals? You've got 18,000. Okay. So he has to name. Sorry, I forgot the other part. After he names them all, mm-hmm. God makes Eve. Yeah. But Adam and Eve are both made on day six. Because he, he didn't find a perfect yeah. partner for himself. So yeah. he made one out of Adam. Yeah. So Adam, he's been alive for five seconds and has to come up with 18,000 words, minimum, mm. right. to name all these animals. And then God puts him to sleep, wakes him up. There's a woman. In there's there's ways to temper that. Yeah. Um, but but that's the point of the 18,000. The like, there's let's a progression it of in. time. Yeah. yeah. It's an odd, inter- interesting. Yeah. I think this goes more to a point that we haven't quite made yet. And then, interpretation. There's the third. God states that birds are made on day five, then animals and humans on day six. But Genesis that's 2 states that God makes animals, birds, and humanity on the same day. Right. With with humans being the pinnacle of creation in chapter 1, at, at yeah. the very end of that day. Yeah, whereas in Genesis 2, it's one at the beginning, one at the end, and the animals in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those are the positive, the negative. We've yeah. talked, we've presented that there's, there's, there's a problem here. <laughs> um, there's four different ways. Oh, what? 
What were you going to say? Is this the disclaimer part of the podcast? This should be the disclaimer. We part have of the talked about um, Genesis in a way I would argue everyone can agree on at this point. Oh yeah. And now we're kind of venturing into the wilderness a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and and as we go forward, I hope that whatever we say, whether right or wrong, would help somebody understand something about yeah. either what they believe or what that- Genesis says. And that being said, just like how we're saying, I mentioned that like you read this 47 times and then you come across these differences. It could be that after I read it 47 more times that I'll go back and go, oh, these aren't actually problems at all. Or there might be biblical scholarship that looks into this further and then goes, oh, there might be theological reasons for this yeah. and whatever. Well, e- e- yeah. yes, th- that could be. Yeah. But I won't. I'm not putting bets on it. No. I'm not, like, I'm not saying that I can't be wrong, but I'm not saying I'm not confident. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. Um, But I should say, everyone, this is a hot topic in in the Christian world. If you disagree with us, or if you have a comment, or another angle, or anything, just let us know. Let us dialogue about it. It's interesting, because I think all four of us have slightly differing opinions on what it Genesis 1 to 11 in general, but 1 to 3 specifically what we're talking about today, what it all means, how to interpret it properly, because it is something that is very heavily debated. Like you said, it's a very controversial topic, not controversial and bad, but controversial and very interesting to talk about, but everyone disagrees. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's fair to say that we don't think that we're right on everything, but we're going with the best knowledge that we have. I, I think I'm right on everything. <laughs> Except for Joel. <laughs> Disclaimer, I'm, I'm right. And I, I will point out that um, I have friends and family that would go to the extent of like, hey, if you disagree with me on this, you're not a Christian. Oh, I have ones that go way further than that, yeah. How? <laughs> they, no, like, you're demon-possessed. <laughs> uh, well, maybe, but... Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> don't give me those eyes, Joel. <laughs> um, and just so I think all four of us here are, it doesn't, claims about Genesis 1 to 3, are not, um, by and large, are not salvational issues. Um, yes. Yeah, there's things that you can get wrong. There's things that, that you, you can, can get, get really very wrong. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to go around here going, well, you know what, Colton? Jesus doesn't exist because <laughs> the Genesis want. No, of course not. Because <laughs> he wasn't created during creation. It's like, oh, uh, that's, that's a bad thing. So, so, so I'd like to extend, ask the audience to extend the same amount of courtesy that we are extending, hopefully, to each other and to you, um, that, hey, this is, uh, we're doing our best to try to understand the Word of God with the tools that we have. Um, help me understand and, if, and, if you have something. Yeah, and like what we said, that we're not fully sure. It, it, there is markers and opinions that have been thought out for the last 3,500 years on this stuff that uh, there is some weight in certain categories that you can go, oh, we're pretty sure about this. Or there are certain things that we can be pretty like confident on, but of course everyone's still going to be, still going to disagree. And, and the point shouldn't be to get mad. Like, don't get mad at people that have different opinions. Don't tell me what Cold to do. Colton's telling us not to get mad at him. Yeah, don't get mad at me. So I have all the bad opinions, so, yeah. All that said, what do we think about Serpent Seed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm so okay. So... This is a classic example of adding confusion. <laughs> I'm sowing strife among brothers, and I'm so sorry. Um, Gone. We, 
we don't want to add confusion. We actually want to try to promote yes. healthy conversation and Learning. hopefully illumination to an approach to the text. So now that we've had our disclaimer, mm -hmm. thank you for reminding me, Joel. But serpent seed. Serpent seed. I'll hit you. <laughs> I won't, I'm not angry because I've been told not to be angry, but I'll hit you. <laughs> I've, I've done my best to try to categorize and then put it in our notes that we have in front of us here. There's four different approaches to this problem. The um, problem is I would argue there's more the than problem three. we just listed. <laughs> the discrepancies. The discrepancies, yeah. What did you say there, Joel? I mean, there's more than... Never mind. I just said there's more than four, but then I realized it was making more confusion. Um, well, there's four mainstream and recognized. Well, there's, there's four categories of oh, thought, yeah. okay. and we're about to get into that. Yeah. The right ones and the wrong ones. <laughs> what about the other two? The wrong, the wronger ones. Ambiguous and confusing are the other two okay. categories. Hey, we're gonna have to. This Let's is, go over this the categories. Okay, the transition point. Disclaimer. Now we're gonna talk about the four different categories in which people often will slide into when they're approaching these differences. There's the traditional, cr chronological okay. approach, in which, hey, um, these stories do match. They're different angles, but they fit together. Right. Um. That is the common... What do you mean by fit together? Like, time-wise they fit together, or like, there is no contradiction between them, and that's all it says? So, like, counting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how helpful that is. No, that's... I'm sorry. I just immediately came with the singer. I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> these are... These four categories of why there seems to be discrepancies in these chapters, I've heard before, but I don't actually know it super well. Caleb, what does it mean by chronology? Like the chronologies is normally what will happen. It's that the as Josh mentioned earlier is that the second account uh, provides a zoomed in okay. view of the first, and so normally that it's like, hey, the accounts in Genesis two is a zoomed in or a more expanded, um, okay, narrative of the creation account of day six. Normally with like saying, yeah, the creation of the, the plants well, and the animals. Day six specifically? Yeah, and the plants and the animals are a quick summary. There's a quick little summary at the beginning there. And then the rest of it, the rest of the events on Genesis 2-3 yes. okay. are events on this. day six and seven. Yeah. Um, that is normally the case. Those are the, the people in that camp will normally make the pluperfect argument. Um, if, okay. Yeah, which, which to be honest with you, again, the argument. Hebrew stands up. Yeah. The likelihood of it is the problem. Right. Um, however, as uh, Josh noted out in that negative, in those uh, those negative differences, uh, those three negative this is differences that he listed, they kind of rule out a chronological reading. Right. Um, and why? Why is that? Well, for one, the orders is uh, the order is completely wrong. Yep. Um, it would if it would say the same or similar order if it was written to be compatible with it right? yeah if, if it is a if it is a zoomed in version of the first right of a more specific more like um up close reading of it it wouldn't give a separate his uh separate order of events okay um what's the other two that you had there josh um the there's not enough time in a day oh yeah just just like the generic yeah. oh, yeah. also like like i I'm willing, if I'm honest with you, I'm actually pretty soft on that issue. I don't yeah, really care. The timeline for me, that's a, some people take a very hard stance on 
on time in Genesis 1 and stuff like that. If you were to name 18,000 creatures uniquely right off the bat, it would take at least like 18,000 seconds or whatever. But it probably would take way more than that, which wouldn't fit into an exact day. How many, right? day, how many seconds are there in a day? More than, more than that. <laughs> but regardless, I'm, I'm yeah. like you're right. Yeah. That is one there. It's not super convincing for me. I'm actually, I don't yeah. think that's a defeater for uh, chronological, but you're right, it's there. Yeah. What was well, the third? Uh, the third is just, is another, is another chronological issue, but it's um, uh, the, the birds are in the wrong place. Ah. So the, yeah. They're not in the sky. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're after humanity, even though they're on a day previous. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if we're talking about chronology, we're talking about time, mm-hmm. and this is a f- is a little bit of a of an issue for a lot of people, right? Especially those um, we'll call them like seven day creationists, literal seven day creationists, right? Um, also, and then sometimes there's called young earthers. There's young earthers, but that's more of a result of the presupposition of a literal seven days, sure. right? Um, so what happens here is that because you know, there's seven days listed in creation. It has to be seven literal days. And then there's this argument over yom, which is the Hebrew word for day. Yeah. And on both sides, I think they get it a little bit a little bit wrong, at least in my view. And you're going to kind of learn what I think about this. But if you guys, you guys can jump in as well. Um, there's one side that says yom means 24 hours. It means a day. And then when it's talked about, it's a day. So there's a day of the Lord or there's a day, whatever, right? And the other group is like, oh, a thousand years are like a day, so days don't really mean as much, which is a horrible misapplication of that verse. But the essence of it, which is that a day can just be a period of time, is an acceptable view, but it's also limiting, right? Because then it becomes these, these people who uh, believe each day was a different era in history, right? Or like the Jurassic period was day three or whatever it was. And, and there's these ideas. Um, and I, I feel like they're coming with a presupposition, presupposition on the text. They're, they already have something formed in their head, which is, um, again, this chronological order that they must stick to. And if you look at the way that I said Daniel was laid out, which is not chronologically, but rather for the purpose of a, a poetic structure that creates a main point. Yeah. Yeah. Be creative with it a little bit more, you know? You can apply more yeah. than one methodology and, and see if anything else comes up. It might just straight up not work, but I think it's going to work better than saying a thousand years is like a day. Because that's a misapplication. It, it is. I was going to I'm sorry say for that. my rant. I was thinking you guys were going to hop in and argue with me. But no, you're doing too good. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, an argument for Old Earth. Saying that a thousand years is like a day is not the greatest argument against someone who's saying that you can't misinterpret the literal word of God in Genesis 1. It's literal, it's whatever. It's like, well, you're taking something later that was added later and reapplying it before, which doesn't, it's not where it's supposed to go. Also, in an attempt to appeal to plain reading, they're adding confusion. Mm-hmm. Like, the, yes. they're doing the thing yeah. they don't want to do. I think if you're going to take presuppositions... I- before you read the text, you should take the presuppositions of the uh, ancient Israelite. Yeah. yeah. And his whole cosmological mm-hmm. world. How view, he perceives the world. Which we'll get into, I maybe. think, when we get more into the... I, yeah, maybe. 
Well, yeah, that's what it's written for. Yes. What about the uh, competitive view? Yeah. So competitive view is the second. Um, it's normally held by more liberal scholars alongside uh, with some kind of documentary hypothesis. Um, this is something that I think both uh, Joel and Josh have probably run into more so than Colton and I. The uh, that there's four, there's there's two, maybe three, although most people say four, um, source documents for the majority of the Old Testament. Oh, is it five now? Uh, but actually, documentary hypothesis is starting to fall out of favor in a lot of places. It propped up in like the early '90s, held sway, and it's kind of dwindling. Remind me, what is documentary hypothesis? It's based a lot on the hey, this. This section of scripture uses these words for God. Mm-hmm. They have, it oh, seems to have yeah. this theological uh, viewpoint and emphasize these things. Therefore, it's probably from a different point in Israel's timeline, and someone has edited in a bunch of different religious histories and religious texts together to make a unified uh, religious uh, Israelite document. Um, and so the alternative account is like it holds that hey, these are these are two alternate creation accounts for the israelites um well you even mentioned it earlier sorry that's competitive sorry alternative is next it's Mm -hmm. two competitive accounts um where they're not they're not meant to be read together there's no there's no through line um and they're actually meant to be one or the other it's just the chrono the editor put them side by side because they're both existent within the let's say the mythological (laughs) Uh, library of Israel's religious movement. I'm not super convinced by that, considering how, despite the list of differences, as we'll see, there's a lot of similarities. Yes. Um, does anybody else have anything to say about the competitive accounts? The the competitive count, I don't think, Matt, uh, this is going to sound super lame, but I just don't think it matches the way scripture tends to unify itself. Sure. Like, Super lame. No, I'm just kidding. Like, like the, the pattern in scripture is that these books are organized together to express theological truths together from a pattern that has progressed. Oh, buddy, you're getting into the fourth way to read it. Let's no, slow I down. <laughs> but, but no, but I just mean outside of creation. The re- like, Daniel. There was Yes, there was these different stories, but they worked together to produce this theme yeah. that is then paralleled and progressed progressive parallelism like you presented um and it there are similarities between the stories and so it seems like it's trying to make a point about creation together and something we'll probably get into fairly shortly with some of the other hypotheses is the uh the idea that there are a lot of thematic especially in terms of numbers and such connections between the original and how it those themes carry over into the new, uh, I say new, the second creation-ish account. Well, there's, there's, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll I, get I there. don't want to get too far. Um, the third, and I, I have a lot of respect for this one, personally, <laughs> uh, even though I don't necessarily hold it, uh, alternative accounts. Um, so this is that, the, this like here's an example of approaching it as alternative accounts. Um, the first uses the ancient Near Eastern motif of creation from cosmic waters, um, whereas the second, the uh, Enoch account, uh, uses the motif of the earth or another one. Um, um, the first account is more about God's relationship to the cosmos as a whole, 
and the second is about God's relationship specifically with humanity. Right. And so they're all they're they're not competitive accounts, but they're two separate accounts. This is this is the weakness in this one, where they're two separate accounts not to be read into one another, but okay. just emphasizing different things. Would this then mean that they're not talking about a creation account necessarily as it happened, but more the th- it's just trying to get across thematic elements about the things within them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're not meant to then they don't read them into one another. Right. Um, and I think, I, again, I think doing so ignores the, 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 the theological similarities and a lot of the theological similarities. Um, and then there's... Does, does anybody else got anything about the alternative? We're, we're going through those ones pretty fast. Uh, the, I think a, diff, a problem with the alternative is the theological similarities between the theological emphasis on the creation of humans. Sure. Yeah. Focusing on the right the, 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 the image of God in the first Genesis one and then also God breathing his life into the to the human. There's this there's this in, interesting connection between God and the person. God and the people. Yeah. I don't know if I'd connect yeah. it with the breathing of life personally. We'll we'll something get there. there. We'll, there's something yeah. there. I My, think it has more to do with him being the gardener and which is presented almost as a priestly kingly role but we're we're about to we're, we'll get there yeah yeah, yeah that's, a that's fun one. your favorite thing i remember that um, yeah, i've heard some of this already <laughs> one of my issues i have with the alternative account is that wouldn't it matter a lot where you draw because the point of a lot of the point of the second creation account quote unquote um from two all the way to the end of three-ish uh is this sin uh, devolvement into sin, mm-hmm. how humanity falls, whereas the first creation account ends with perfection. Yeah. Which well, thematically it's... just t- it clashes with itself unless you draw a line somewhere else where people don't normally draw it. Well, the idea is that it's that they're too store. It The issue with the alternative account this is mm-hmm. one of the things that bothers me too, um, even though I may sometimes more sympathize with this, is it presupposes that they cannot be uh reconcilable right it's perfectly indistinguished like yeah. or perfectly separate. um and that they are merely stories and this is all they are is they are merely stories to explain things about reality as separate so they're not two sides of the same coin they're just two different stories oh, wow. to emphasize things and so the yeah. distinction between them is so hard it's yeah, so cut and dry yeah and it's I don't think the text shows that it deserves that. No. Does this one rely heavily on um, other creation myths? Yes. Oh, yes. Relate onto it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Which Are we talking about this? this which which we're going to get into. The, we'll get into that. That is coming up. Question, because I was writing something in my notebook. Are we talking about the complimentary view? Not yet. This is what's about to come. Okay. I am going to point point out as to Colton's, uh, what he mentioned with the fall narrative in, in, in Genesis 3. The reason why, and this is actually a pet peeve of mine, where people will link Genesis 1 and 2 together, right. and they'll be like, this is how the world began, and then the fall. Right. There's a, the reason why we link 3 and 2 together, apart from, you know, it's its own periscope and there's no reason to yeah, cut yeah, it up, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a chiasm. I was going to say, there's going to be, I've heard... Like, like it's, a, it's an explicit chiasm linking the two, centering the fall. Adam and Eve's decision to um, disobey God. Well, the Eve's um, yeah. deceiving and Adam's act of disobedience. 
So uh, I hate to be that guy, um, but I hear a lot of people saying, again, this chiasm, this this literary structure. How pre- how easy to read is this structure? Is it something that is seems read onto the text? Or is it something that's pretty obviously there? It's all over Hebrew scripture. Anybody well, who's, yes, who, but yeah. this specific part. Because that would be the disagreement is people believe it's not a chiastic structure, right? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, but, but how, I, I haven't found anyone that's anyone that knows the Hebrew that doesn't say that. So that's it's only people argument. who yeah. only read English go, nah. Well, yeah, yeah, so this, this, is, yeah. Yeah. this is the point that we, we've discussed. You bring it up. We discussed a lot. Colton brought it up. We discuss a lot about literary devices of the Hebrew people or the Aramaic people of the the scripture. Um, they're not, and we we might be running up against it. The layperson might be reading what's a chiasm or what's a progressive parallelism or all these other things. And the the reason for that is because, like when you read Shakespeare, you have to learn the the literary notes or the structures within it because it was written at a different time. Imagine if you were trying to write Chinese poetry. They wouldn't use stanzas like we do or something like that. You have to learn what structures they use. And so at different times and in different uses of literature, they have different notes that when you read them, like the example that I've used is uh, when you read a receipt, right? You know how to read a receipt and you know how to read a science textbook. And when you read them, there's you looking at it immediately you know oh these are not the same thing and i know how to read them because i've learned how to read yeah. both the the person in the time that genesis was written reading the book wouldn't have seen the numbers because they weren't there and yeah. they wouldn't have seen the verse or chapter numbers yeah um because they had them structured like you said in their own pattern with these literary notes like in daniel with king every time it mentions a king or a ruler that's they know a new that's, thing. that's that's a, a new, new periscope story. the same way that when i see a giant three on the fall i know yep. i'm on the next chapter um, which aren't the same as how they structured it yeah drew these and so after. the chiasm yeah. is meant to show both the unified um periscope that these two that these that that the fall narrative and the edenic creation narrative are the same but not just that because as Joel explained what a chiasm is. It also shows the specific point, the emphasis yeah, of that one, the which is their decision to, well, um, to Adam's decision God. to disobey and Eve's deception. Yeah. Um, so as, as, as you were pointing which out Which points there, them as being, it being one whole creation narrative all the way to the end of the fall. Yeah. And so, so that's, that's just to your previous, to your previous point. The last, um, the last um, approach to these to this problem is what's called a complementarian accounts. Um, good if I just read what I have written there. Sounds good to me. <laughs> um, the editor would have known of the tension between these two accounts and still felt it reasonable to present them side by side because mm-hmm. that's the document we have right now, right? Um, and this is this is where I I think that there's a genius in. The author's genius is shown oh, in yeah. two I, four. Um, I actually, I got this many, idea many from no, but the the this is the to what we're talking about. Okay, um, I get this idea from Robin Rutledge. Um, so two four um, is that transition period between the the first creation account and the second creation account, and oftentimes it's said that that begins the second creation account. Okay. Um, 
but here we go. Verse four contains that these are the generations of, yep. which is in Genesis, uh, the marker like in Daniel, when it's talking about Kings, this is the marker of, this is a new periscope. So it introduces the, the periscope marker for Genesis, um, thus indicating this is a new periscope. Um, it's a literary signal, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it also has the mirrored conclusion of these are the heavens and the earth. It reiterates the introductory sentence in right. of the first creation account in 1.1. Um, however, it also indicates an anticipatory reversal of the exact same statement in, in the day when the Lord God made earth and the heavens, indicating that this is, again, this, there's, in, create, blah, 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 showing an anticipatory difference in a creation account that's about to come. So, mm. it, so it reiterates the same in reverse. With a slight reversal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the verse 4 actually just straight up functions as a chiasm itself, both linking the previous document um, while reversing the two. Well, linking the two documents, introducing the next, the periscope thing for, uh, for Genesis. Um, and yet, by saying it as the heavens and the earth and the earth and the heavens, it acknowledges that there's a difference between these two accounts. Um, therefore, despite the seeming continuity, the author must have felt it reasonable to put these two things together. And he writes in verse four, chapter two, verse four, to indicate, hey, these are two creation accounts. Specifically. Specifically. And he thinks it's reasonable to put them together. Um, Interesting. So then what are they, comp- what are they complementary? What are they, what do they put together then is the question, right? Because we've mentioned all the differences, but there's we've also hinted at there's a lot of similarities. Josh has already brought up, hey, there's uh, there's man is made in the image of God, right? Mm-hmm. And he's given dominion over the earth. Well, another thing is, oh, he's he's made as vice regent on earth, basically yep. in in uh, in the garden. Yep. So God creates the animals, and he's like, hey, I invite you in to name them. Mm-hmm. Which in that culture is a massive thing. If you have, if you can name something, you have power over it. Yeah, it shows that he is that he is God invites him to have sovereignty on earth, yeah. and he gives him the garden to work in to keep. Yeah. Um, and just so people know, they're like, why is that a thing? If you've ever seen, if you've ever read uh, any fantasy stuff like that, you'll find this note weird, really weird note where like, if you can find the name in like. If you can find the name of the demon, you can control it and send it back oh, to yeah. hell. <laughs> right? And it was, it was this idea that the name was intrinsically linked to the to the individual. And if you could speak it or... Names have power even though themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so... And that comes from that this very old idea in the ancient Near East was this idea. And so it's significant that as region over creation, God gets Adam, name them all. Well, and, and it even becomes significant that... God creates through speaking, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, and that's that's part yeah. of it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, now yeah. you are a sub creator with me because you are now speaking over the animals yeah. I have yeah. created in part, creating their essence. Yeah. And then yeah. you jump into the yeah. New Testament. He has the name above every other name. Mm-hmm. No, no one. Yeah. yeah. And we yeah. could go into many other references yeah. too, but yeah. this idea of naming yeah. also kind of means you have some power over it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but that's 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 the linking of oh, dominion over the earth. In the first, and Adam's role is more fleshed out in the second, mm-hmm. given more spe- specificity. And it gives a 
terrifying and there's a terrifying moment in genesis 3 but that's a that's for another day yeah <laughs> you won't believe what happens next <laughs> um this gets more into what josh not josh you're josh joel mm-hmm. this gets more into what you and i have both discussed and read on um genesis presenting as a quote-unquote cosmic temple yeah but there's a pattern yeah especially when one knows especially for a israelite jew who knows anything about the temple or anything about the tabernacle because if you start to parallel oh lamppost tree of life um sh- uh, sh- uh oh what's here look, look. The, creation of light. the create the creation of light oh to work and to keep those are only listed those specific words are only listed oh of priests specifically in the sanctuary Hmm. Sanctuary. Sanctuary. That's weird. And um, God's presence walks to and fro, fro, mostly connected with His when He comes in the, in the comes to the garden in actually in Genesis three, um, in the cool of the day, and His presence is there. His presence is walking to and fro in the sanctuary in the holy of holies. Mm-hmm. Um, um. What? I don't want to burst the bubble or anything like that mm-hmm. because I don't think I actually am going to. I want. I want. I just like. A further explanation on this, but the temple wasn't created when Moses wrote this. Is it referencing the tabernacle or temple? That's why I said temple and tabernacle. At the oh, I didn't hear tabernacle. My bad. Um, and all of these things are presented actually first in the tabernacle and then carried okay. over. Well, um, let's talk about for a second, just to derail, not derail. It's actually helping what you're saying. Just to derail, just to derail you and ruin just your day. ruin everything. Um, <laughs> we talked about the documentary theory. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple of different sources for that. But it would explain some of the reasons why the temple, which is something that's seen later on in the Bible, not really later on because it's still in the Torah. Um, but there's about so three that I'm thinking of right now: Yahwehistic, Eloistic, and Mosaic um, sources. And the most common understanding of Genesis, it's just what we've said for a long time, whether it's 100% true or not, is that Moses is the primary uh, contributor to Genesis. And he's also the primary contributor to the building of the tabernacle. So he would have had knowledge of the structure mm-hmm. and in some way saw the parallel himself. Although I think it's still mostly God behind it. Anyways, that's the reason for what you're saying, right? Am I am I right in saying that? Or, or, are, you or are you talking to me or to... to talking about you. you. You have the... Um, okay. You got the knowledge. Now. All, that Moses, all, all I'm presenting all here at the moment. I'm not going to get into documentary hypothesis. All I'm presenting. Yeah, that's a big topic. <laughs> all I'm presenting is that the the Israelite who has let's is let's say with Moses, right? They're building the tabernacle. He will hear the creation account, both of them, both of them, and go, "Wait a second, these are the same. There's some patterns here." So like Adam is presented as a priest going to work his working his his working and keeping of the garden is only explicitly said for priests. Um, there's a imagery with the tree of life and the and the lampstand, which we've mentioned before. Um, the interior of the tabernacle and of the later temple um, is depicted with pomegranates and garden imagery. Um, the whole um, also at the the gate the cherubim are guardian mm-hmm. um creatures of the heavenly realm so that they're at the perimeter of god's yep. presence yeah they're the and ones gardening guarding 
gardening. The wall, the doorway with the fiery sword. Yeah. But yeah. also but, the ones on the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, yeah. they're the ones guarding the Holy yeah. of Holies. Um, also, um, the uh, it's a three. What's it? What's uh, Josh actually knows the term for this, but it's a a three ring ringed um, circle. There's three consecutive uh, encompassing rings. At least you mentioned it before. <laughs> a cigarette. No, no um, I don't. I just know that throughout the biblical text, whenever you have the presence of God uh, presented, there's usually like the temple, the tabernacle, the garden, and then also Jesus with Jairus's daughter. There's the three circles, yeah. three consecutive circles, yeah, three, three consecutive in, circles, yeah, that go into one another. So there's initial. We're getting there. Um, there's the holy of holies, the utmost inner God's presence itself. Mm-hmm. Then there's at least. Then there's the holy place. Then there's the courtyard. Yep. Just so there's Eden, the garden, and the outer world. Would uh, be, and that okay. happens also with Jairus' daughter or, as... Or, sorry, just because I don't want to get this confused. Um, you said Eden, the garden, and then the wider world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the garden is in Eden. That's... <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the garden, then Eden, and then... The wider world. You're right. I got my nose. Okay. <laughs> You're right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, 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 I just, but that's but that yeah. that same uh, three consecutive um, yeah. areas of, of increasing importance. Um, right. There's also like when they when they start to look at the es- like they call it the eschatological temple, but let's say the the heavenly temple, which is supposed to be uh, the the original copy of what the earthly tabernacle and temple is um that's said explicitly in several places throughout the biblical text um the heavenly temple is shown as rivers always coming out of it Mm -hmm. and that's another key thing with uh yeah connection between the temple and eden yeah um yeah, there's actual four rivers. rivers in Eden that run through the garden. That run tigers, actually, there's one river that flows out, and yes. then it splits into four. Not through; yes. it actually comes out of the garden. G.K. Bale Bailey goes over an entire like 200 pages on this topic. <laughs> John John, uh, John Walton goes over extensively on this. James M. Hamilton, who wrote the Daniel thing, also um, engages in this on a couple of his books. Um, it's a pattern within biblical theology. Actually, Colton and I had a discussion how it's not just recently where it's not as prevalent and systematic, but it wouldn't be by nature of its own thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but biblical theologians have begun to go, wait a second, there's some, there's some parallels here going on. And so that even in the time of Josephus, Josephus writes, oh, I wish I had this in my notes. It's something to the effect of, and if you really want, I can put it in here. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes that the, that the, temple itself, and he's talking about uh, Herod's temple, is a microcosm for the universe as a whole. Yeah. Um, hmm. And so that there's a connection between temple, where God, where humanity meets God in yep. a sacred place, and the physical reality, the cosmos itself. Interesting. Um, what does this have to do with the complementary uh, idea? Well, here's the thing. The temple obviously has ties to Eden, very okay. strong. However, it also, but the same ties of, um, as as Josh pointed out, dominion are large. Mm-hmm. But when you start to look at the uh, the 
context in which Genesis 1 is set in, and this is where I think Joel's going to more come in with John Walton's, um, yeah, yeah, his whole uh, Lost World of Genesis 1. He goes over the extensive, oh, there's a lot, like a lot of literature where temples have a seven-day coronation uh, in the ancient Near East, Mm. and that's a common pattern. And so this setting up, it's as if chapter or yeah, first chapter one mm-hmm. sets up this idea of this coronation for chapter two, which is thoroughly well. They're still they're still it. different, right? Okay. They're not chronology, okay. But that they have a common theological through line, right? Which isn't an was the uh, alternate theory, the third one, yeah, which says that there's nothing similar. But this one says, yeah, no, there's some pretty explicit. Yeah, that the, there's these are two different accounts. They don't mesh chronologically. There's some problems there, but the but the the author has no issue putting them together, saying, "Hey, these thing two things are linked together in two four in in, right. in chapter two verse four. These two things are linked together, and they build off of one another. And so that what at least what I'm presenting here, and I think I think uh, if did did you recently read uh, Lost World of Genesis one? So is what you're saying is is that Genesis one is the coronation day for the temple, and then Genesis two is the temple itself, but not in the chronology sense, but just the thematic in a, sense. In, 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 a, yeah. in a thematic sense, in a yeah. complementary. I would argue a functional sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Eden is now functioning as the temple. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then the the creation of the temple, or the you could even say the enthronement of God in His temple. Mm-hmm. Um, because, he, okay, here's the thing. You build the temple, everything comes together, and then the Spirit of God rests on it, right? And what mm-hmm. does he do on the seventh day of his creation? He rests, mm-hmm. right? He dwells, and then he starts to commune with men. Um, here's a thing, and I don't know if this is real or not, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it past you, and we'll see what happens. Okay. Is the Garden of Eden the Ark of the Covenant? The Garden of Eden is more akin to, to the in thematics is the Holy of Holies. But here's the thing: in the Garden or in the Ark of the Covenant is the staff that is continuously blossoming, mm-hmm. and the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. So the knowledge of good and evil, and the um, tree of life. Tree of life. The tree of life. I have not heard that connection. I'd have okay, to it think about happened. it. It was just. I, <laughs> I, I think I think it's more because it has more to do with God's presence. Out of, Out of okay. God's presence, well, the 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 bountiful, most the most bountiful region yeah. of creation is uh, the rivers of life flow out of. The, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh no, 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 continue. Um, that is where the the harmony is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in that humanity is and. More theologians are going to debate about this one, and I'm I'm not even sure where I'm on with this one. Is that Humanity is meant to extend that garden outwards. Okay. Um, Can we play with that idea for a bit? Your, your Ark of the Covenant? Yeah. So, um, just... Well, and cherubim defend it is the other thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. So, you've got... Um, you said God rests in the middle, uh, in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. The story then is presented as God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. Um in the fall narrative, it seems as like he comes in the cool of the day. It seems as if like he's partaking in whatever their their life while he's there, the same way that he exists in the yeah. yeah. Um, but then you've also you mentioned that the Ark of the Covenant is in the middle 
mm-hmm. of the most holy place. Yeah. Right? Um, oh, that's... I got another idea, but I don't want to say it on the podcast because it's dangerous. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, so you've got... But in the middle of the garden is the two trees. Mm-hmm. So not only... So not that the garden is the ark, but the two trees in the middle is the Ark of the Covenant. But mm. the reason why there's now, quote unquote, a, a box surrounding the Ark, notice this. He says, don't touch the Ark. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? The same way he says, don't eat of the, 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 um, tree of the knowledge of good the and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, uh, Aaron. If you do it, you shall surely die. Yeah. And if you touch the Ark, you'll die. Um, but Aaron was able to use the staff every once in a while. Early on, and then it was put into the box um, in the same way that they were allowed to eat of the tree of life. Interesting. I do. I'd have to explore that. Yeah. This is a new idea. So also, I've got another idea. <laughs> it's fine. Well, Cut it there. Okay, but the expansion of the outer ring. Okay. Yeah. I, you mentioned can, that just a second ago. Can, you can, I, can I? I? We'll get there. I, I do want to list. There's a couple other things to reason why uh, Genesis 1 would also partake in that. Uh, cosmic temple stuff okay um like other um ancient near eastern create uh temple creation uh documents some are some are linked to uh cosmology mm-hmm. um not all are but all of them list that oh the icon of the god is put in last the, the icon the idol the image the, yeah yeah oh hmm, i hmm. and so obviously uh the biblical image is not oh these are actual gods but it's it's doubling down on yeah that's the image not the thing i but it is the last thing in i when i wrote my paper on the image of god which we should probably have a podcast all on just what the image of god itself means kind of thing when i wrote my paper on it this idea did come up briefly, and I went, oh, this is a big topic that can't fit into my paper. But it is an interesting connection, because mm-hmm. the image of God can very easily be translated also as the idol of God, or the, yep. the like you said, icon of God, this yep. representation of the greater non-physical being in a physical yeah. way. And so that's, that's heavily tied to um, humanity having dominion over the earth sharing in that sovereignty thing which as we mentioned is already echoed in genesis in the second creation account additionally there's uh with that there's some priestly analogies both with um with later judaism where they would view um no that's second account already um that cosmic temple building with that six-day pattern especially with that explicit six-day pattern right where that humanity functions as priests as intermediaries between the created order and the gods, normally as subjective, as sub, uh, subjects, not as as the actual text lifts them up to be. Hey, you are like vice regents. You are. There's even an emphasis on food normally, whereas like the first creation accounts, like, hey, the food's for you and the animals. Mm. That's it. Whereas normally other creation accounts will be, no, the food's for you to organize and bring to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and that gets you lightly mentioned on, but that gets into our next topic. Yeah, and I think I think that's where we're gonna go. But all I'm all I'm all I'm bringing up there is yes, the later on um, 
the tabernacle and the temple is meant to bring that, oh, these are images of the garden. That this right. is, there's something correlated with the garden. Whether the garden is the first temple or whether the temples are now new Edens. Yes, that's d- what theologians, I was ask Theologians debate yeah. that. Um, to be honest with you, I still have yet to study on that topic. Yeah, but there, the my... correlation there is really heavy. And whether that has more influence on what the temple is than what the garden functions as. Mm-hmm. They would see that the garden and the created order in Genesis 1, because both, as we've lightly demonstrated, have priestly and temple themes going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be a through line through it, despite them being separate accounts. Right. But we've mentioned there's a couple like ancient Near Eastern motifs, stuff like that. Why have two accounts at all? Why not just one? And I think, I think Joel, not Joel, Josh is going to get into that idea of, well, they're polemics on different things. Yeah. The, eh. <laughs> what does that mean? So the polemic, let me look up the... The definition. The definition. Um, loosely, it is a, a polemic is a literary device from Greek and Middle Eastern uh, uh, literature, meaning uh, so you have a political or religious or um, philosophical point, a text, and then somebody, the political opponent or the alternate religious group or whatever, will take that text, alter it slightly to make and the differences there whenever you see a difference between them because they'll be similar the differences are the points that the opponent is making mm-hmm. um and it comes from the word uh meaning to attack someone or something um polemic okay. um and we've been using it for forever uh america still uses them in their like political campaigns Mm -hmm. they'll like like, release a commercial and then you'll see the other guy release the exact same commercial but with slightly things change i I think coke and pepsi is the perfect example of this they'll redo the exact same ad but just swap logos yeah (laughs) exactly um and so well i thought this was the the actual creation event like this is original Genesis 1 and 2, you mean? Genesis 1 and 2. I thought this was the original creation story. Well, hmm. potentially. Careful. Potentially. This is when we get into the fun and disagreeable yeah. territory. Yeah. Um, it seems as though the stories are similar. The stories are similar to other creation stories. Um, Not just seems. Phraseology is almost, almost identical. Identical. The nods are consistent, and the polemic is easily identifiable, meaning it's intentional. Um, Joel, you mentioned that there was five specific... Within the creation stories, there's five other texts that it seems like Mm -hmm. these two Genesis stories are taking from. Um, Oh, uh, you mean not the documentary hypothesis? No, No, okay, I was going to say that. No, but you're right right that there's five. that's what yeah. he was talking about. But is yeah. there five? Actually, yes. okay. Yeah. yeah. So there are pattern. <laughs> yeah. So there are. There is the Anuma Elish, the Babylonian creation story. When on high. Yeah. Yes. Went on high. Uh, in English, Anuma Elish means went on high. Um, and then the Atrahasis epic, um, and they both elements of those stories, phraseology, the the pattern of events. Do we have some examples of the phraseology? We will get there. Okay. okay. Um, and then Shut within up. Genesis 1, you have Egyptian stories. 
So Genesis 2 seems to be an amalgamation of Babylonian, Sumerian, Mesopotamian stories from that side of the planet. Um, and then you have uh, Genesis 1, which is a mix of three uh, and a fourth Egyptian creation story. They had a bunch of them because of their city-state effect. Um, yeah, they weren't. They aren't consistent even in and of themselves. Well, they also yeah. use them as political. So it's not like yes. we're doing a new thing either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Moses, having been trained in Egypt, may have learned, learned something from them. Definitely. Well, would have. Definitely. Yeah, would have definitely. Um, and so you have a thing called the Memphis creation story, the Heliopolis creation story, or the pyramid texts. And then you have the Hermopolis uh, creation story or the coffin texts. And then you have the Ogdode. Um, and I'm going to read some stuff if you're okay with that. Just like let's, let's, let's stick let's to summarizing for sure. Yeah. I just want to read one. I would like you to, if you can. Because some of these are longer than long. Genesis. Oh, no, no. I'm just that. reading too long. Okay, cool. Yeah. Just, so. just, just the phraseology similarities. Yeah. So the Ogdode is two lines. This is it. And Okay. The cosmos was undifferentiated formlessness, and darkness was over the surface of the primordial watery deep, and the divine wind of a tomb was over the primeval waters. That sounds a lot like Genesis 1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Genesis 1 is, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Do you think this was like the original DC and Marvel controversy? <laughs> They're like so similar. And then yeah. a little fight over them. Yeah. 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 Namor and Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so anyways, what's the point? What's the difference? Well, if it's a polemic, the difference there is is that the, uh, the names, first of all, a tomb is an Egyptian god. It's one of many. Whereas in the Genesis story, it's one god. And it's not the emphasis on the wind, even though the spirit and the wind are the same word in Hebrew. The emphasis is on spirit. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the wind, the, the, the God is this wind over, it's the spirit of this actual God is there. Um, so you have that difference. The another part is the Egyptian creation story starts with on an occasion. <laughs> it just so happened. <laughs> right? Time exists before God creates it. Yes. Whereas in the Genesis story, in the beginning, God created. Um, so in this story, it's on an occasion the the deep and the 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 wind are together. That there's no reference to time, like coming into existence or stuff. Whereas in Genesis one, it opens with in the beginning, God everything well, starts with attention. Uh, yeah, um, God is immediately the. Listed as the cause. Yeah. 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 Uh, everything that happens is his intention. Yes. Um, it's not just, eh, this happened. And if, if my memory's right, doesn't it, a tomb just self-actualize out of the deep? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. God's just like, oh, no, I, that's the stuff I create yeah. the earth yeah. out of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm just here. And isn't Memphis him creating the something to stand on? Because he's just like... like so, so, yeah, we'll get to that. So, what, it, what you get is then, so you get... Now you mix it with the Memphis story, and then you mix it with the others, and you get this pattern. This is where it gets freaky. So you get, have an in-the-beginning phrase on an occasion, and then you have the life, the Ogdo, the lifeless, chaotic, watery deep of Genesis 1, 2, um, there. The cosmic soup. The cosmic soup. And then you get a tomb, the divine wind is over the deep, and then uh, he speaks, and light appears. And that light is Ptah. The second god. Mm. So 
every time something is created, it's also the name of a god. Yeah, it's a theogony, I think is what yeah. it's called. Yeah, so you get light comes into existence as this being Ptah. And then he needs somewhere to stand because he's drowning <laughs> in the deep. And so what he does is he separates the waters from the waters so he can breathe. Wait, I've heard that line before. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he creates dry ground and brings it together so that he has somewhere to stand. So he's not swimming, right? And then uh, after the dry ground appears, he makes the sun or he makes Ra. Um, and then he sets him to rule the day. Um, and then he competes with the whatever. But, but in the biblical account, it's just like, yeah, sun, stars, moving on. Yeah, we'll get to that. And then it's the earth sprouts, vegetation, animals, birds, and reptiles, and then the idols of the image of the gods. Right. Yeah. So on, on the final day of creation, the images of the gods are made. Hmm. Interesting. And then Ptah rests in satisfaction of his creation. And then humans aren't there. Did it, is it the same amount of days? No. It's all one day. Okay. <laughs> so it's one day, but it's the same order of events. So let's get into this. It's a polemic. What is God doing? The major one is it's one day. Now there's seven. It's a number of completion. It, God is finished creating in his, its entirety. After this, Ptah weeps because it's so beautiful. And then the tears mix with the dirt and it makes humans. And then they're like, oh, we got these things and we don't know what to do with them. Um, which is actually really, which is yeah, a rather humanitarian yeah. view of how well, humans come to be in well, the ancient. In the yeah, <laughs> compared to the Indian militia, we'll get that. Um, but it's, it's Ptah is like, we got we to gotta do something, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so you get the seven days versus the one. It's specifically structured on God's behalf in the Bible in the Bible to present not just your idea of this coronation, but it's creation is complete. It's yeah. exactly as he wants. And it. it's good. It's good, 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 good. That's another Very difference. Good. And has the one preeminent who creates and is yeah. over and simply speaks it all. Yes, yeah, so you got the preeminent. You got the he's every single day he says his command over it. I speak. speak that the, the thing comes into existence, whereas Ptah just... It just happens, and then he just, does something about it. And then he uses his power to do things. Um, and then uh, there's also a difference there with all of these things are gods, whereas in the God's creation story, he's like, no, these are just things. This is just a, a place, but for something else later. Um, yeah. And I here's what I found. I was trying to explain this concept to an older member of the church that yeah. didn't necessarily uh, grow up knowing or caring about uh, yeah. alternate texts that could be yeah. overlaid, whatever happened there. Mm -hmm. And the best way to understand it was, hey, you know how the Egyptians worship the sun and the moon? Yeah. Pretty common knowledge, right? Yeah. Well, isn't it special that God specifically says that he created the sun and the moon? Yeah. And that's all you need to say. And that's proof of a polemic. And it's not that controversial. Yeah. And So if you're looking for practical application of this whole podcast, that's one of the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then that's it. So we're gonna get into there's more polemic devices, mm -hmm. but we're gonna let we're gonna talk about them more in depthly on the the interpretation podcast. Sure.
Because like, there's there's so much we could spend an entire podcast on just polemics. Okay. Um, like, I think the plan. Yeah. We're gonna, we've we've established in this episode mm-hmm. that these are two separate accounts. They shouldn't yeah. be read as entirely separate accounts. Yeah. There's problems reading them chronologically. Yeah. I saw <laughs> that, that. Hurt. Ow. <laughs> ah. Um. I should at least just give the intro for the Enuma Lish. Please. Yes. Um, so you get into Genesis 2. Sorry. I was just focused on time. Um, it's okay. I didn't want to give away all the surprises. It's okay. Um, so the Enuma Lish, the Babylonian creation story, very different, went on high. It opens with that. But Genesis 2 opens like this. Um, when no bush of the field had yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground and the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God had formed a man from the dust, the ground breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Right. Um, that's nice. Yeah. A Lish. When the heavens had not did the above did not exist and the earth beneath had not come into being. There was absolutely the first, the Northern and it's begetter and the Demiurge Tiamat who gave birth to them all. They had mingled their waters before the meadowed land and coalesced and the reed beds had been found when not one of the gods had been formed or had come into being or when the destinies had been decreed, the gods had created them. Lama Lahama would be formed. So you've got when all of this stuff had not happened yet, the gods created and then these two beings. Mm. And then in Genesis, when all the fields and stuff had not come into being yet, mm. God was there and created Adam and Eve. And all the animals. Yeah. And the plants. Yeah. And so, like, you've got this. They, the phraseology is the same. The pattern of events is the same. There's not just that. It's the, it's There's this female and male sub-god that worship and work and are created for the other gods. And then in Genesis, there's this female and male image of the god created. To be vice-regents. To be vice-regents on behalf of the, the major god. Um, and so, like, even themes are, like, kind of mixing there. But there's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's two gods, whereas God is saying, no, this is a, just what I'm doing. They have this, like, collaborative work, or they have to work together, and then they don't get along. Um, they're, they're opposites. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're yeah, in the uh, competing in the Enuma Lish, whereas God's unified. Mm-hmm. Um, the When no other gods had come into existence, it's like, no, just when... He's he's in the process of creating, whereas they just kind of there, but God is found in the process of doing something. Mm. Um, and then, so like he's got intention. They're reactionary. It, okay, it's like they're like they're just there, and then they're like they do stuff. They they do stuff. There's God's <laughs> preeminence. Yeah, again, um, intentional. Of. Yeah. It also seems like it's how humans would create the world. <laughs> right? yeah, it's like kind of an accidental yeah. response to things going yeah. badly. Yeah. Nature yeah. is its power. That's a censored version. Oh, yes. for sure. Well, yeah. it's actually surprising. I think it's a polemic in itself that the Bible's not more sexual than it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. And this, and this is just one of the polemics later on. Yeah. Marduk, after he defeats Tiamat, mm-hmm. uh, beats up her cuts her in half, builds the sky yep. out of one half of her body, builds 
the earth out of the other half and then uses her blood, mixes it with dirt and makes humans so that they can build temples for the gods so that he doesn't have to do anything. So he can rest while they bring him food. While they bring him food. Whereas in the Egyptian story, it's like, hey, we should take care of these things that spontaneously came into being because I started crying because of how beautiful everything is. (laughs) (laughs) A lot nicer, yeah. 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 But still, nowhere even close to the biblical account. No. Hey, I'm making them like me and I'm putting them in charge of this beautiful creation that I did for... So that I can have a relationship with them. Yeah. So I can come in the cool of the day and just walk with them. Yeah. So, and they're not an accident. They're the point of the creation. Anyways. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, something interesting Mm -hmm. uh, about this whole topic is that I think of the four of us, I accept this as a tentative theory more than the rest of you. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think most of you accept it as harsh reality. Mm -hmm. Um, Like this is what the Bible is where I'm like, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of evidence for it, but I have trepidations. Well, you think you're more in line with, let's say, the common Christian. That's well, that's, sure. that's what I wanted to bring up, is that what does this mean for biblical inspiration as a whole, but specifically just like how do we see interpretation? Just how do we interpret it? If it's not, what does the Word of God mean if it's from other sources that are explicitly not from the Word of God? Can I, can I give a New Testament example of this? that more people know of. Sure. That's actually, the example is given in the text itself. Um, when Paul speaks on Mars Hill, mm-hmm. he talks to the the, 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 God, the the philosophers there. Right. And he says, hey, you have the statue of this unknown God. And then he starts talking about it. And he says, all the things you believe about this God are actually true about Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he quotes their, their poetry. And he says... You talk about this thing as if you we, it lives and breathes in you and causes you to live, mm. right? And he says, yes, but about my God. Right. And so he's, he's taking this text that's unrelated to the Bible and then presenting God's truth by altering it slightly and bringing them into this understanding of the biblical God. Right. And then that piece of text then becomes inspired because it's written in it. In the Bible. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And that's that's something yeah. I can accept. But what does it mean for creation if it's someone else writing it and not, like most people interpret it, the literal way that the world was created? Or at least a representation of how the world was actually created rather than just taking thematic structures. If it's purely thematic, is it actually creation? So I think that the confusion is functional with material. What do you mean? I mean that it's not an account of material creation, but functional creation. Again, that that thematic idea, right? I can read it completely literally, and it's still functional rather than material. This this is actually where Joel and I disagree on this, but... Yeah, no, and I might be the minority, uh, you know, holder of this view. Um, Not in scholars. Maybe not for scholars, but scholars, uh, you know, it's, it's... a million people can believe something and then it's finally represented or one guy can believe it and then sells a bunch of books on it. You know, it's like <laughs> academia is kind of a hit or miss thing. Um, well, it's an interesting way of putting it, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so what what part of... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grill you a little bit. I, I'm, like, I'm not saying that this is necessarily what I believe, but this is a dump onto someone who... Like, you're dumping a lot of things onto someone to accept as a baseline reality for them to be like, 
but I have questions, mm-hmm. but I have problems. This is not yeah. how I was taught to read the Bible. Fair enough. Yeah. So, yes, you can grill me, and I'll try to represent it best I can. Okay. What in the f- what in Genesis chapter 1 do you see as a, sorry, 1 and 2, we'll say, do you see as a literal? The fall of man. That's chapter 3. So okay. that's still. There's a lot of issues if you take away a single person as being. The rep, the okay, so that's sin. more the Adam and Eve uh, controversy. Yes. Uh, yeah, we can get there. But then you, we, we we will get there in our podcast episodes. I, yeah, again, yeah, I yeah. don't want to get too deep into it, but it, yeah, this was something I wrote about in my paper a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But let's stick to one and two. Sure. Um, is it is it the the six days or the seven no, day I, creation? I, I think it's pretty reasonable to believe that it's not a literal six days or seven days okay. of creation i think there's a reasonable argument for it one that i believe is it the firmament <laughs> no <laughs> okay well that seems to be one of the only things that they believed was true about the world and wasn't okay. a poetic structure who the people who were writing it right it was the jewish understanding there was actually a firmament above the earth can, can I give a quick cursory over ancient cosmology of, like, the structure of how that works? Yeah, go for Because some it. people might not know what the firmament is. The firmament. It's the waters above and the waters below, but yeah. Continue. Yeah, it's just that imagine a flat coin, yeah. but then held within the middle of a marble, mm-hmm. and our existence is on that flat coin, yeah. and then You'll hear there's a, lot a little... You'll earthers bu- talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Middle Earth, actually. It <laughs> is. Lord of the Rings. Is. Are yeah. you... Oh, is what you're saying is that Earth... It's just a snow globe that got dropped off a <laughs> off a um uh what are the boats that go on across the ocean that people like party on boats uh no cruises so so it's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah I don't know what it is are you saying <laughs> that Earth is just a snow globe that fell off a cruise ship and is now just sitting at the bottom of the Pacific well, I guess anyway <laughs> so let's look at creation with less <laughs> rotting shrimp okay cool. uh, either way either way that there's that there's Chaotic potential waters above and below that right. that uh, this chaos is, soup. <laughs> this is the order in between yeah. it, um, and that yeah, there's an ordered reality in between it. And the writers and original readers of Genesis would have interpreted it in that lens. So that when when Joel says firmament, he's specifically talking about just the waters above. Okay, sure. Yeah. But why is that relevant? Because um, obviously that's not true. Yeah, right. there is no firmament. Absolutely, R- right. But so then why, why bring in what you... the Jewish interpreted? How because creation? they wrote it. Sure, but why it, does the was it just lies to them originally? What, like how the thing what like like what the firmament is? No, if if account if it's an account of material origins, mm-hmm. and they would have understood material origins in their cosmological worldview with the firmament and the chaotic waters above and below they would have understood it in that context meaning it was written to explain that context sure well okay here i'm 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 gonna have to make the uh i agree with you that that's yeah no i agree okay i'm trying to argue for for this side but no, um, i'm sorry that i we, chose the worst thing for you to defend but it's no it's, one it's of fine the ones that i have a problem with well, but with seven with seven-day creation and like a literal creation, yeah, that's a big issue. That idea of the firmament. Is it talking about a literal firm, firmament? How do you not believe that if you also believe in seven days? Stuff like that. Um, but in terms of a more old earth general creation uh, of it, it doesn't necessarily need to have those literal material ideas. Like that, um, 
that the creation account actually represents literal things that are perfectly literal in more general guidelines, ideas, and uh, symbolic meanings of things that actually happened. Okay, so when you say actually happened... Like, like how creation exists and happened. It's just so the on, So the function or the material... What, what do you mean, mean by function and material? That's, that's more of okay, my confusion. Okay, so this is, this is what Walton gets into, and it's something that I've really liked. I've gone all over the spectrum on it, for sure. Okay. Old Earth, Young Earth, I whatever. I completely I reject that dichotomy, and I think it's a bad idea. Um, I, I don't think choosing one or the other makes any sense. Um, so the, the thing about function, and we can cut this out if this goes badly, but here's <laughs> oh, what I'm going to say. This, this uh, is the interesting uh, stuff. That's why we're talking about creation. That sounds like a soundbite. So... Because of the scientific revolution, mm -hmm. we now see things as material. So when you say yes. actually happened, yes. that means that there was a physical representation of that. Not even physical representation. There was a physical entity that existed in time yep. that had to be that thing. Yeah, yeah a literal, yeah. Okay, and in the same way that you can say the firmament is real or not real, whatever, the function of mm -hmm. God separating the, the waters above from the waters below still exists and i i think that it is not the intention reasons, right? of the writer to talk about material origins right i don't think that he's talking about how dirt was created right i don't think how he's right. even talking about how species were created i don't think that's the case and i'm not saying that evolution is a better idea for that it's just whatever sure. right i just don't think it's the intention of the verse so say what you will about a literal reading but i don't think that literal reading is true to the text true to our understanding or true to the understanding of the original context. Interesting, because yes, that is a point I've heard quite a bit. What, when you, by function, you're meaning more of a thematic and trying to present an idea. So the way ontology. it exists. The role it plays in an ordered universe. Not necessarily just thematic. Ontology. Is it? It is. It is, that's role, ontology. Role, not being? I thought ontology was a study of being. The being, is, the being expressed would be its role. I see, I yeah. see, okay. But you're leaning more towards teleological, where it's the purpose. But I'm saying the actual being, the way it exists, not just its purpose. I, I enjoy where that's going. Can I, can I try to play middle ground for a second? Sure. Because I'm, I'm a little confused what you mean. But um, Joel is expressing, and I, I, think, I think this is what's going on here. Um, Joel's expressing when he says function, he means that this is how these things are represented and work in an ordered reality. Okay. And the expression of an ordered reality is very, very important in the ancient Near East. And especially yes. when it's contrasted with the chaotic waters. And so, sure. so you can say that there's a function, you can say there's a theme there, but the reason why he separates that as separates theme and function is because yes the theme of ordered reality is 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 important but when he says function it's that these things that he's talking about right like time let's say created in day one let's say or the fish and all that kind of stuff um it's not just to match the theme it's meant to it's not talking about the f the material origins but the function of that material being organized right and so it's not I think that's why Joel is having a difficulty with you just saying theme, because it's not just quite theme. Am I, am I, am I, well, I onto so. something? Arguably, there? functionally, it is, but yeah. yeah. Fun like in terms of function of how 
we see the structure of Genesis 1 and 2, it would be almost purely framework or thematic, right? In that kind of look at it? I think thematic has more to do um, with the vehicle of of communication. So, so the way um, yes, yes, light, is yeah. brought into, light is brought into existence, right? And that's cool, and it's awesome that it agrees with science right now. Okay. That light is one of the first things to go. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the intention of Scripture, so I don't think it's proper exegesis to have a... I think literal reading is also the wrong word for it, um, but to take the the traditional literal reading. material view, the material view that everything is like, like wow, I can't he believe created, God created the, the mountains. No, earth. He created yeah. the means by which the mountains are are able to to grow and expand. Or right, grow. okay, I, I mountains understand. grow wonderful. <laughs> I okay. don't know. Again, All right, scientific I... inferences on the creation story. <laughs> I'm going to cut out a significant portion of that probably. But we'll no, see. because that's interesting. Because I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Um, I think that it that that the other view puts more weight into God revealing things uh, to whoever wrote it, or putting the literal creation of I say the material creation of the world through the writer some way mm-hmm. um, as it happened in maybe sequence or in in actual events. I'm not I'm not saying that that's necessarily true, mm-hmm. but the order does seem to. And yes, you're right, the, uh, the current scientific hypothesis does seem to present something fairly similar to the actual creation account in terms of order. That's not really the argument I'm trying to go down or one I would make in a large, serious, proving kind of sense. Just more one that I would say is interesting. Okay, in my mind, when you say the traditional literal reading, that was what I thought you were going to go into. Right. Was a, I, I, I understand an the apologist idea. I, I really like it that idea mm-hmm. but i don't think it's a very strong argument for mm-hmm. it um in terms of I, I think that the issue comes in how people see divine inspiration that people tend to think god revealed to moses the divine how the world was created in whatever way in some kind of material way mm-hmm. um and then the reasons they give again are usually things like the fall of man how that happened like how do you reconcile that with old earth whatever you want to say mm-hmm. or frame especially framework but um what i th- what do you think can i jump in go for it okay um i think this gets back to our our comments about chiastic structures or p- progressive parallelism um part of the problem this is something an old uh teacher i don't even think it was at summit i think it was at like high school or whatever um said was the Bible is written for you, but it's not written to you. Um, and you have to understand the the text. You have to understand it the way it was read by the people who received it. Um, and in the same way that when I read Genesis 2 and 3, I don't see a chiasm. But when I read it like a Hebrew person would the ones who received it, I see the chiastic structure. Right. Um, and I think part of the problem is, is when the layman, even myself, read Genesis, the way we all read Genesis today in the modern day, 3,500 years later, after it was potentially first appeared, um, 
we're reading it with our lens. And so we're, we're doing a bit of unintentional eisegesis. Oh, and I, I think even, yeah. even those of us in the camp that have tried to bring as much yeah. background and exegesis to it, bringing yeah. in different yeah. ancient Near Eastern motifs and other Hebrew, you know, your Hebrew mm-hmm. lexicon, I think we're still, yeah. that we're still running um, that risk. And I think part of the problem is like, well, what do we do with the issue of reading it um, materially, understanding that this is actually God trying to tell us how the earth was created, not the purpose of creation. Um, then when we're going into it, it's not a problem with how we understand creation. It's a problem of how we understand inspiration. Well, um, that, that's what, that's why I brought up. So the, I think like what you're saying is like, well, people don't understand. They, they think that they're going to get uh six day creation out of this sure or uh day age theory or gap theory um and i think if you're going i think the problem is then that we need to backtrack as a church and discuss inspiration not creation so that we can absolutely talk about creation that becomes a way harder topic though divine inspiration because that's very fairly subjective not per subjective yeah as in how someone chooses to believe how inspiration works because it's not something very explicit there are guidelines obviously within the bible well like it's it's very obvious that the bible that jesus doesn't literally possess the person become them for 10 minutes write down everything and they just disappear yeah and we might have to Wait for another podcast. I, yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to have to just discuss <laughs> yeah. inspiration. So if I'm going to try to wrap it up and we'll end it here because we're, yeah. we're over time. If, yeah. if um, I can give, sorry, if I can on. give one quick word to the idea, because I'm not saying that this is necessarily something I agree with. It's just I have so many problems with Genesis 1, 2, and 3 specifically and how interpretation works. I don't know what to believe necessarily. I, I tend, like Joel kind of said, mm-hmm. I tend to lean towards old earth framework young earth all of these different ideas but i can't settle on one because another point has such strong uh arguments at least in my opinion um one of the strong arguments that i hear that well strong from my subjective point of view is that why would god give us a telling of how the world was created that isn't true that isn't an actual way that the world was created. Well, then you get it, but you, we've just well, backdoored that interpretation thing. I, I understand, yeah. but it is, at least in my opinion, it, it isn't interesting like, oh, if there's no physical material truth to how the world was created in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what does that mean? Like, is that, a, is that something God would do? Is that something we should even interpret it as? Like, what does that mean? And I think that, I don't know, it's a pretty weighty thing in my eyes. Um, we'll... I don't know. I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. We'll, uh, we're going to reconvene and do some more episodes on creation. Because um, there's a lot here, as we've discussed. There's a lot here, and mm-hmm. it's, co- and it's, it's being a problem just to end it here. I know. Um, so if anybody actually has any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, there's going to be a couple of those. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> leave it in the comments. Um, let us know. Send us an email. Visit the website. Talk to us. Engage in the dialogue because that's what we're trying to do here. Um, yeah, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode up to this far, and uh, you may enjoy the next. We'll see you next week.
Ah!